I believe we're in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. We've just finished looking at the disciples' prayer that the Lord gave us uh, for the last two weeks. And now these verses read, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> I was thinking about this. One of the things that came into my mind is that you really should always read the footnotes in a book. How many of you do that? Footnotes, you know, I just... I've got books where the footnotes are longer than the writing on the book, you know, and stuff. And it's like a whole book in and of itself. Every page has got half a page of footnotes explaining things. Uh, these two verses are obviously not part of the disciples' prayer. And one commentator at least suggested that they're kind of a footnote to the prayer. Uh, Jesus told us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He emphasizes why in these verses as a kind of a footnote. He says there's a conditional aspect to forgiveness. Your Father forgives you on the condition that you forgive others. Now let's explain right away that we're not talking about the forgiveness of your sins for salvation. Jesus was not saying that if you withhold forgiveness uh, for earthly matters that He will withdraw the forgiveness of your sins eternally and return you to a state of being unsaved. Uh, and one reason we would say confidently uh, say that is because God is your Father in this prayer and in this sermon. You're a child of His. You're a part of His forever family. And so it's not a... <clears throat> God is not portraying Himself. If Jesus had said... This is how you should pray, O oh, judge, and then go through you know this whole thing. It's strictly a legal relationship. He says, pray our Father, which art in heaven. So you're part of the family, and God's not going to kick you out of His family uh, you know, for uh, your sins. Once your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven forever. Uh, and so conditional forgiveness is not the same as conditional security. We believe in the eternal security of the genuine believer. It is your joy and freedom and growth and enjoyment that are at stake when it comes to forgiving or not forgiving others. It's your fellowship with God that suffers. Jesus is talking about what we would call parental forgiveness. If believers are unwilling to forgive, uh, especially their brothers and sisters who wrong them, <clears throat> then how can they expect to be in fellowship with their Father who has freely forgiven them for their wrongdoings. And so this is strictly a family matter. Uh, but it's a serious one because a lot of people, I think, are living hypocritically uh, with a lack of forgiveness towards others. Uh, and they're just, no matter what they think, they're just not experiencing uh, a joy and enjoyment and richness in their Christian life. Definition of the key words, uh, they're not difficult. Forgive can mean to send away or to cancel a debt. Uh, trespasses means a fall or a false step, uh, referring to all manner of wrongdoing and sin, but especially that which uh, is deliberate. It might be helpful, I thought, to understand this from a Jewish perspective. Uh, we always want to remind ourselves, without going too deep into it, <clears throat> that Jesus, of course, uh, came in, in the fulfillment of the law and the uh, Jewish tradition, talking to Jews, Obviously, the gospel includes Gentiles, but 
As we see in the book of Acts, all of the first believers were Jews or Gentile proselytes to Judaism, and, and so we need to understand some things. And uh, without, you know, some people get so deep into this that then they, they think that we need to go back to the rituals and sacrifices, and they go to completed Jewish fellowships where, you know, they have synagogue and all that. And so, you know, we don't want to go back to anything. We just want to understand where this has come from. Uh, and, and that's part, part of, I think, the failing of just... I want to say I don't want I want to say our educational system, but I don't mean uh, you know the formal educational system. I, I just mean the way that we're brought up now. We we don't really know that much about our heritage as Christians. You know we 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 understand that Jesus didn't invent Christianity in the first century. That it has a connection to the Garden of Eden and all the way through the Old Testament. But sometimes we approach it as Gentiles as if well, Jesus fulfilled the law, so that's all dead, and we don't need to worry about any of that. We miss a lot of rich things if, if we do that. And so it's helpful to understand this, uh, how a Jew might understand this when he says, uh, when he talks about canceling debts or this word trespasses. Under the Mosaic law, there was a sin offering and there was a trespass offering. That was called, or the trespass offering is also called the guilt offering. Uh, to kind of emphasize that it's something you knew that you did wrong. Uh, the <clears throat> trespass offering would be for specific known sins, trespasses where the person knew that they had done wrong because of their conscience in relation to their experience versus what they knew what God required of them. You read all about this in Leviticus 6 uh, or 5 and 6. The trespass offering and the sin offering sometimes overlap and so when I try to study this and we try and study this commentators are not clear on exactly where one leaves off and the other begins but there is a clear difference uh, but it, it seems as though the sin offering has to do with us just being s sinners we have a sin nature and so we need to bring an offering for the fact that we're sinners the trespass offering was something when I had <coughs> maybe you know gone out and scratch Tom's rims that I was talking about this morning on purpose because I got mad at him and so now I know I did wrong and now I have, I have to deal with that. Uh, and so there are sins of negligence, fraud, omission, violations of personal rights, failure to keep promises and things like that are some examples that are listed in Leviticus. And again, there are examples, not every possible thing that you could do. Uh, there's about 10 of them, I think, listed there in, in Leviticus, but it just gives you an idea of the scope of a trespass. And what happened in the trespass offering is you would express a desire for reconciliation and you would make restitution because you would bring a sacrifice and you would add to it uh, the value of the thing that was destroyed or lost and, and, and so you were really paying back uh, and you were adding one-fifth on top of that. And so it was... Uh, this is the context that Jesus is talking about. And so here is Jesus. He's telling his audience that the true meaning of the trespass offering is to be reconciled with others and to remain in fellowship with them. Uh, but now the way to do it was not through sacrifice, but through forgiveness, that we would, we would forgive one another. Uh, and, and there would be no need for you to go to the priest and offer your sacrifice and, and do all of that. And uh, the interesting thing about this, of course, is that Jesus fulfills the requirements as our sacrifice for both the sin and the trespass offerings. 
Uh, think of those two different Old Testament rituals that we just briefly discussed while I read this from 1 John. It's in chapter one and, uh, chapters 1 and 2. John writes and he says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Uh, these things I write to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Now, spun in through that is the idea that Jesus has cleansed us from all sin, but we still sin, and we need a daily cleansing. And this, you know, we explain it however we explain it, but a Jew would immediately understand this from the sacrifices and rituals of their temple. Well, yeah, we used to make an offering for sin in general, and then for sin specifically. You know, yeah, I made I made my sin offering because I'm a sinner, and then I, you know, poked Dave in the nose and it threw out his cornea, and now I've got a problem with Dave. You know, and so now I have to pay for his surgery and offer my sacrifice. And so a Jew understood the difference between being a sinner and then committing these acts of sin. So we're cleansed from all sin, but we've and we've been forgiven our sins at salvation, but we still need the forgiveness of our daily sins. And by the way, this really resolves this whole issue that. Millions of books, well, not millions, but thousands of books or, and maybe millions of pages have been written about what do you mean you, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Well, if you're a Jew, that's not an issue because you know what's being talked about, that what you have a, an earthly issue that you have to deal with. And theologians go crazy trying to, oh, he's not talking about your salvation and here's why, but a Jew doesn't have these problems. And so sometimes it's helpful to know these things just to solve issues that, uh, that we make up ourselves. So when Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, your Father's not forgiving you, a Jew would understand that they just hadn't gone through this process of being reconciled and so therefore there was a, a problem in their community. We think that we're losing our salvation and so that's not it at all. So anyway, now that we're clear on all of that, uh, I want to make an application of this that will encourage us to have generally a more forgiving spirit towards others. Um, first of all, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, we all know that's famous passage, Isaiah 53, that's talking about the Lord. It's an Old Testament prophecy looking forward to uh, the, the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, it says that you make His soul an offering for sin. And that phrase, offering for sin, reads a guilt offering. And again, if you have knowledge of the Old Testament rituals from Leviticus, we're talking about the specific guilt offering, not just you know a, in general that when Jesus gets sacrificed, uh, that he'll cover things, but he specifically is the guilt offering. He would be everyone's once-for-all guilt offering. Uh, and so, if that's true in a spiritual sense, when someone trespasses against me, the guilt or the trespass offering has already been made by Jesus. And to a certain extent, I can see myself as being more than compensated by the Lord himself who gives me all things. And 
uh, this is a little bit radical, but in one sense, I can forgive even if I'm not asked to forgive. So, so this is the idea. In the Old Testament, I did something to you willfully. I need to make a trespass offering, a guilt offering because of my conscience. We have an issue. I add to it to make restitution. We're reconciled. Isaiah says Jesus is that offering and He's been made once for all for everyone. And so when you sin against me, then I, you know, notwithstanding that we still have issues perhaps, my attitude ought to be in a heavenly sense, in a spiritual sense, the Lord has already made your guilt offering for you. Everything really is potentially okay between us. I don't need you to go through these steps and make this reconcile. I, I should just consider myself fortunate that I have such a gracious God. And whatever you did to me is less than what I deserve probably anyway. And look at what God has done for me. Now the power to do all this lies in the fact that your Father forgives your trespasses. And it's illustrated most poignantly in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You'll remember that parable, a king took account of his servants. One of them owed him a great deal of money. It's, uh, it's been variously estimated how much he really owed, but the idea is that it was more than he could ever hope to pay back. And so he begged the king to give him time to pay, and the king, having compassion on him, just canceled the debt. He, he wiped it out. He forgave him, which is what forgiveness is. Then when that guy left, he saw another servant who owed him a very small amount of money but couldn't pay. And he, the second servant, says the same things to, to the first servant that he had said to the king, but instead of showing compassion for the grace that he'd just been shown, he had him thrown into prison until he could pay uh, the last penny. Well, so now the king, the other servants, they understand that this is wrong, and so they go and report to the king. So he has the first servant come back, and he says, Hey, what, what's your problem? What, what don't you understand about what just happened? And he ends up throwing him into prison, uh, you know, where, where he has to suffer for that. Uh, and so uh, the idea there, of course, is that it's possible to have an unforgiving spirit. We would, uh, let me read it to you. It says, the end of that story, Matthew 18, his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? His master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I, I never, uh, may, you know, I, I need to do a study on this, but I never understood debtor's prison or torturing people that owe you money. I mean, how are they going to pay you if they're in prison being tortured, you know? You're going to be tortured until you pay me everything you owe me, you know? But uh, it's pretty crazy. Anyway, that's what they did in those days. I assume that your family then came to your aid is what really happened, you know? It's, it's not much different than that today in some foreign countries. I remember visiting the jails in the Philippines I mean, you don't eat if your family doesn't bring you food and clothing. I mean, it's, it's a jail in the truest sense of the word. You know, you're just incarcerated and on your own, pretty much, uh, if you don't have some connections on the outside. We would interpret the punishment in Matthew 18 as discipline in this life and the loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, again, 
these are theological decisions that you have to make along the way. Uh, you know, are we talking about the, you know, he didn't forgive on an earthly level, so now is, the, is God going to withdraw his heavenly forgiveness and leave you lost in your sins? We would say no, because he is our father, and secondly, because of the, uh, you know, a Jew who didn't make a trespass offering wasn't, he, he was still a Jew, he just was not in fellowship with other Jews and they put pressure on him. And one thing, I think one of the things too here, and I'm just saying this on speculation, but I don't think we understand the same sense of community that other people used to have. Like if you were part of a Jewish community, there was intense peer pressure in that community to do the right thing. Uh, I mean, there were only a handful of you and you all had to kind of stick together. And if I offended Ron, then all of you, thats you were on me about that. Hey, you need to make it right with Ron so that we can go forward as a community. You know, and, and we don't really understand, even in the church, the church is a place where you could feel that, but just in general, we, we, don't, we don't have that kind of pressure. Some families do in our area, more so than in you know, other areas. Uh, you've got these strong Portuguese Catholic families where there's a lot of pressure in the family. Uh, strong Dutch families, you know, where there's a lot of pressure in the family to, to, to stay together, all go to the same, you know, churches and schools and that kind of a thing. And, and you'll t- you, you talk to people around here and it's like, well, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to do that, but hey, I, you know, we have 17 generations that have done this. And, and, the, you know, as soon as you try to break out of that, you're, you're really heavily pressured to stay in. And so, um, so that's one thing we don't understand. We think of ourselves as independent. We don't understand the kind of pressure that these communities would, would bring to bear. We don't even really have that in our families so much anymore. Not to criticize anybody who's been married and divorced and remarried, but you know, the, you know, the, the, nuclear, the idea of a nuclear family that stays together for 30, 40 years, I mean, that's, that's being shredded in our society. And so even in your family, you don't have the kind of peer pressure that you used to have. And so, um, so we need to keep all that in mind. We are not losing our salvation when we don't forgive one another, uh, but we are losing out on fellowship. Human nature is inclined to resent rather than to release. It's inclined to be demanding rather than to be forgiving. But we do not live according to human nature. We have God's nature now with us. And that is why Jesus could tell Peter, for example, to forgive 70 times 7 in a single day if necessary. Not as a formula, but just as, a, as an understanding that forgiveness is a way of life. It, it's it's something that you can't wait to do. As a unbeliever, it's something you can't do usually. As a believer, it's something you can't wait to do, and and you can forgive ahead of time. There is a detailed teaching attributed uh, mostly. Uh, well, the person who's most articulate about it is Jay Adams, who's a good guy, uh, about asking for and extending forgiveness. He has this uh, analysis of Matthew 18 where it talks about people who've offended one another and going to each other and there's a four or five step process of, of dealing with that uh, for overcoming offenses. And it can eventually lead to what we commonly call church discipline. And, uh, and that's a real thing. There's, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. Uh, it's good stuff. 
uh, as long as we realize even in that process that forgiveness is not a formula. Sad thing, I, I've dealt with some people over the years and I've probably been that person over the years where it's like, you know, they call you and they say, I think I did steps one and two, now I want to escalate to step three. You know, it's like, you know, I wrote a letter and I did this and so now we're... And, you know, it's almost like it's a formula. And the idea is that, well, let's just struggle. Let's just keep going to the person. And, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody's... Everybody wants to do church discipline all of a sudden. Have you noticed? That's like a... You know, I think the church has been criticized for being soft on sin and so now churches are so excited about doing church discipline it's like who can we discipline you know I mean who's really in sin we you know we can't wait to go in front of the congregation and say you know this person is in sin you know and stuff that could we're tough we're the real biblical Christians and I mean that's a horrible thing Um, it should bring tears to our eyes and cause us to to shake and and weep you know and so we we believe in church a lot of times we get criticized we say how come you guys never do church discipline and and the truth is we do it at the earlier levels and then people leave our church and we usually don't hound them I mean if we find out if they're in some heinous sin and they go over to church down the street we'll call and say hey God bless you you know so-and-so is in heinous sin and they left you know process and that's your responsibility now because they won't talk to us anymore but see and that's the kind of thing I was talking about if you were a Jew in the first century you didn't just say well I'll go to another ethnic group and become part of them you know I mean you deal you dealt with that people didn't buy your locks and bagels anymore I mean you were just done as far as be you know it's like you put out your little stand and nobody would buy your merchant I mean you were pressured into solving those issues and getting back into the joy of that community life. And so, anyway, uh, I'm not backing away from church discipline or this idea of Matthew 18. It's all real, and Jesus put that in there for a reason. But he's talking here about just having a spirit of reconciliation. Uh, You know, forgiveness is not a formula. It's not really a feeling either, in the sense that we need to wait around until we feel like we want to forgive somebody or... Uh, ask for forgiveness. I mean, it's it's something we're commanded to do. Uh, for lack of a better term, I think we'll understand that it is a spirit that we adopt. Uh, one author said, and I like this, he says, the grace of forgiveness is to care more about the other person than what he has done. Care more about the person than what he or she has done. We are to send away from our minds all the wrongdoings of others as they sin against us John Corson said, when people fail, don't rub it in, rub it out. Which, if you know John Corson, that's the kind of thing he says. If someone sins against you, Jesus has already offered himself as their trespass offering. And so you have already been compensated. It is they who are suffering spiritually by being out of fellowship with God. It's kind of a radical thought, but you know, if Jesus is fulfilling all of the ritual and type of the Old Testament and if Isaiah says he is our trespass offering it works both ways he's my trespass offering when I offend you but he's also recompensed you already for my offense because there's nothing I can bring other than a spirit of forgiveness to the equation and, and so uh, it's it's just a a very interesting and powerful way, I think, of thinking about how much more forgiving we ought to be one of another. 
It's still not wrong, of course, to go to a person who's offended you and to confront them in love, but sometimes it really is better to let go of the offense and let God enrich you for it. Uh, you know, uh, there are times when, uh, you know, if, if there's a... I think Matthew 18 has more to do with, with blatant sin, you know, sin that needs to be repented of. Um, you know, Jay Adams, when he talks about offenses... It's hard to define what Jesus meant by offenses. And so he, he has a definition, and others follow this, that anything that you feel keeps you from having full fellowship with somebody is an offense. Well, you could spend all day, every day, going to people and trying to resolve personal issues of, you know, you didn't wave at me. and I mean, and, and it really gets down to that. And I understand his theory is that why harbor anything? Why not just get it out in the open? But I think the passage is really about, hey, you know, because I need to be able to sit down with somebody and, and it, what happens in, in Matthew 18 is you eventually involve other people and eventually the whole church and you need to be able to say what's happening between these two people, there is a sin that we can identify. For, for example, somebody's committing adultery. Well, then we can go and say, hey, you're, you're in sin. You need to repent of this. If you refuse to repent, you know, other people are going to have to know about this. You know. Well, of course, other people find out about it and it, it kind of happens in a natural way, but I think you get the idea. So in, most of the time, I'm, I'm just being minorly offended. People aren't really sinning against me. You know, they're not slicing my tires and burning my house down and you know, doing things like that. Uh, they're not assaulting me physically or even verbally. We just have some kind of issue between us. Let's have a forgiving spirit and realize that Jesus has already made that offering and just let a lot of that go. I think that's, that's the point. And we'll be happier for it. We'll be full of joy because we'll be acting like our Lord who asked the Father to forgive folks even while they were crucifying Him. Uh, many of whom, I'm sure never would repent and receive him as their savior. Uh, you know, we know at least the Jewish leadership didn't who was involved with that. And so uh, Jesus has done all of this for us. We should receive it and walk in love. Amen.